We are taking a brief detour from our study of salvation this morning. Mother's Day is a complicated holiday. Father's Day is this way too, uh, where the majority of people are celebrating the holiday in one particular way. Uh, they have moms and they're happy, hooray for mom. And then there's a subset of people for whom the day is kind of horrible, right? Either your mom has passed on or your mom was terrible or you're thinking about families that are estranged, right? So there's, uh, it's an interesting, and, and again, other holidays are this way. Father's Day is this way too, where for most people, it's a good day. And for a lot of people, it's not a good day. It's an actually a worse than normal day. So as we're going to talk about mothers this morning, we're going to have a brief uh, discussion about a couple of things. Because mother, the word, doesn't really need a deep dive into meaning and context. Right? We're not going to do like a deep dive on mother like we did on propitiation, because the word's fairly obvious. But I want to emphasize two things in our study of mothers this morning. One, what motherhood as God intended it looks like, which is an important idea. And two how motherhood is an extension of God's own character and points us back to him. One of the things that we've really, I've really tried to emphasize in this series of words, we've done a lot of words this year that we'll continue to do, is how these things are extension of God himself. Uh, propitiation, we talked about last week, tied to his nature. Why propitiation is an important concept, the idea of atonement or appeasement, because of his nature, who he is and what he wants. Motherhood. Likewise, when we look at mothers in the Bible, from the beginning into the stories that we're going to look at this, this morning, point us back to who he is. They are extensions of himself. And so show us, in some ways, who God is. Uh, these are about the character and power of God. From the beginning, as we think about the importance of motherhood, Genesis 1, 26 and 20, uh, 26, Genesis 1, 27 through 28, mess that up. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Two things that we note out of this text. Number one, be fruitful and multiply. What's that going to mean? Mothers, right? That's, that's what that's going to mean. There's going to be mothers involved in this. And second, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Because all things come from God, every aspect of our humanity. Now, there are differences, of course, between men and women. That genetically, uh, biologically, emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, all of these differences. And yet, because we both come from God, we understand that part of God is demonstrated in men and part of God is demonstrated in women and, by extension, into motherhood. Genesis 2, 24 through 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, at the beginning here, the, the leaving and holding fast to his wife, what that, is that going to lead to? Motherhood, right? That's what this is inevitably going to lead to. Not all the time, but a lot of the time, that's what this is. The leaving of the old, the, the old family and creating a new family. Not old in age, but old in the old versus new. The new family that is created and perpetuating, of course, the cycle, which will perpetuate in perpetuity as long as humans are around. When humans are gone, then there won't be any more of this, I guess. Genesis 3.20, And the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. From the beginning, 
God's intent for creation is that there would be mothers. That's fundamental, baked in to the very essence of physical reality. This is, again, before sin, before imperfection. This was part of God's plan. And so when we are, uh, women are extensions of God's image, just like men are. Part of his, that is God's character, shines through in motherhood. And so let's look at a couple of stories that demonstrate this idea. Motherhood as God intended it to be, as mothers should be, as extensions of God's character. Uh, 1 Kings, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 24 through 27 of course, this story, uh, I'm going to give some context here. Uh, we have two women, and they both have kids. And in the night, a woman rolls over, and her child dies. And it's very sad. And so they wake, the woman wakes up and takes the other woman's kid, basically, is what happens. And they're presented before Solomon. They, they go, they argue, they're having this, this conflict. Of course, the women know. The women know whose kid is whose. But, of course, one of them's trying to take the other one. And so they come before the king, Solomon, and he, of course, has this conclusion. The king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two and give one half uh, to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, as God yearns for his children. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Now, we, we obviously, uh, it's sort of harsh. Like this woman, how could she do that? Keep in mind, her child just died. She's clearly not thinking well. She's in the, the, the midst of deep abiding grief. Grief that has compelled her to try to steal another child. She's clearly not in her right mind right now, right? And, and that shows here. But the other said, he shall neither be mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And I'm not sure that Solomon is trying to, to uh, bring out how cruel this woman is, but rather this woman has been traumatized by what has happened. That means that she is the one that lost the previous child. The reason that the woman is willing to let the child die is because she is feeling deep and abiding grief over the loss of her own child. And the woman whose son is still alive, what is she willing to do to ensure that her child lives? Even if it's not with me, this other woman can have him because she cares so much about her child. We see in both women the deep connection between them and their children. One leading to self-sacrifice, one leading to devastating psychologically altering grief because she loved her child. Again, as God loves his children. Ruth 1, 15 through 18. Of course, the story of Ruth. Uh, Naomi is the, the sort of the matriarch of the situation. Naomi has sons. They marry uh, Moabite women. So she has two daughters-in-law and then the sons all die. All of the men die. Naomi's husband, Naomi's sons, both all die. And so they're in Moab, and Naomi thinks, okay, I'm going to go back to Israel. You guys should stay here. I have nothing for you. I am uh, destitute and barren, and she's very uh, much in grief again because of the death of her husband and sons. And, and so she is going to leave, and she says, you guys should stay here. And one of them does, but Ruth says, 
See, your sister, or Naomi rather, says to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. What kind of woman must Naomi have been? Do you have this kind of relationship with your in-laws? Most people don't. How Naomi must have treated Ruth. For Ruth to be so invested in Naomi. The implicit thing here, Where's Ruth's mom? Her biological mom. Now maybe she's dead. We don't know. If she's not dead, which is not stated in the text, she is basically choosing Naomi over her own mother. It's not just about biology. Motherhood is beginning with biology, with blood connection, but motherhood is more than just, you have my genetics. Motherhood is, I care for you, and I put your needs first, and I sacrifice for you, and I do what's best for you, and I choose you every day, every hour. As Naomi clearly did for Ruth, for Ruth to understand that Naomi, even though they were not related by blood, that this mother-in-law was the one that she should stay with. Naomi transcended biological motherhood into a deeper connection as we're all trying to do with God, right? God who, as the language is described in the New Testament, adopted us. Because we don't belong to God when we're sinful. We don't belong to God when we're separate from him, but God still seeks us and pursues us and wants to have a relationship with us. Even though we don't technically belong to him because we're lost and sinful and serving our own ways, God chooses to seek and pursue and sacrifice for us to bring us back into this adopted relationship with him. 2 Timothy 1, 3-7. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. A lot of ancestor stuff in this text. With a clear conscience, as I remember you, that's Timothy, remember Timothy constantly in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is through you through the laying on of my hands. This is clearly a supernatural gift. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Mothers teach. In some sense, that's what we're all doing as parents. A lot of these things could apply to fathers too, but it's Mother's Day. And there's no indication that Timothy's fathers, or father and grandfather, I should say, that Timothy's male role models taught him. And as it would have been expected in their society. In their society, the father would have been expected to be the one 
to have been sort of in this head role of the family and to impart to the child. And yet, there's no mention of the fathers here, father and grandfather. Lois taught her daughter who taught her son. The passing on of knowledge from one generation to the next. And let's be honest, fathers, in our own families, how much of it is you and how much of it is your wife that is teaching your child? Not that you shouldn't be teaching, but we understand that it typically happens this way. Mothers should be teaching their children. And in this context, specifically what? Not how to tie a shoe or ride a bike, but faith. Imparting genuine, earnest faith from one generation to the next. That is what mothers should be doing, and fathers too. And we see again the extension here of God's will. That God teaches us and nurtures us and develops in us faith. Faith that begins one way when we become a Christian, but faith that deepens and matures and grows as God is caring for us and teaching us and guiding us. So we see how mothers should be self-sacrificing, loving, choosing their children, best for their children all of the time, putting the needs of their kids ahead of their own, imparting to them truth. But we know that our experience is not always like this. That you're in this room maybe today, and you're thinking, that's not how my family was. That's very possible. I would say it's very likely that there are people here who do not experience this, who have not experienced this. And so we come to motherhood as an extension of God's will, not in the biological family, but in the extended family of the church. Motherhood as an extension of God's will and character that is carried out by humans is prone to corruption and sin like literally every other thing we do. God creates mothers in the beginning. Behold, he saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then how long does it take for that to be corrupted and destroyed by human sin? Like everything else that humans do, we do it imperfectly, right? It is this corruption, though, that can point us back to God. The failures of, of human people in our lives, in our relationships, in our actions, in our, the way that we treat one another, emphasizes our need for one who is perfect, the one who does not fail us, the one who continually cares for us and treats us as we should be treated at all times. We know our need for God because people have failed us in our lives. And because of this, God promises more motherhood, more mothers, more nurturing relationships for those who accept his lordship in their lives. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. We talked about this in class this morning, right? The idea that Jesus came in some sense to divide those who would be his from those who are in the world. And what does that mean? And sometimes it's going to mean you're going to have to leave your father and mother because they're not faithful. And fathers and mothers, you might have to leave your children because they're not faithful. But what's the promise? There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. This is not a future promise. 
This is not for heaven. This is not for eternity. This is for now. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. The promise for you is you will find more mothers in his family. 1 Timothy 5, 1-2, we just thought about it. He had good mothers, or a good mother and a grandmother, right? Faithful, loving, very genuine apparently. And yet what does Paul still tell Timothy? Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Timothy had a good mother, but that doesn't mean he's not still treating others in the church as he would his mother. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul himself, Romans 16, 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. We don't really know anything about Paul's family. Maybe they're dead by the time the narrative picks up. We don't know. But apparently Rufus's mother had taken on Paul. Paul needs a mother, just like everybody else. Paul needed love and care and belonging because he's human, just like we all are. And he found that not in his own mom, who may be dead, we don't know, but in the mother of this other person who apparently had taken him on and chosen to treat him in that way. Maybe your life fails or failed to live up to the idea, ideal of God's intent. Maybe your life doesn't fit this particular pattern of God's will in this way. Maybe your own mother did not act like God desires. Maybe you as a mother have made mistakes. Maybe your mother is gone or you yourself are not a mother. The role of mother as being given by God as an extension of his character and nature can be fulfilled in his kingdom by any woman of God who will do the job as he intended. It doesn't matter if you don't have kids of your own. You can be a mother in the kingdom of God, caring and teaching and guiding and nurturing and loving and sacrificing for those who are in this body. Because this is, again, an extension of God's character. Who he is invested and put into the hearts of his creation, us. I have one physical mother, and I love her. She's great. But how many spiritual mothers do I have? Women who have decided to invest in me. Who have given of themselves. Who have made me, in some respects, who I am today. Some in this very room. You have your physical children or not. Maybe your children are grown and they're gone. Maybe they live somewhere else. Maybe you never had kids. But you could be a spiritual mother to people in this room. I think about how you guys have treated my own children. And you've adopted them. Not legally. Don't take them with you. <laughs> but you do what the woman did before Solomon. Who yearned in her heart for her son and was willing to give him up 
because that was what was lead to his life. You do what Naomi did. How Naomi obviously acted with Ruth to create such an intense bond between a mother and a daughter-in-law. Not biologically related, but bonded through this connection. Nonetheless, you do what Lois and Eunice did as you teach and you guide and you direct. Motherhood is an extension of God's will and something that can and should direct people to God. As I know it happens in this group. Our job is to figure out where we fit into this. And mothers, as I'm speaking about mothers, I'm speaking directly to you, women in this room, not just biological mothers, but women in this room. You are empowered as people made in the image of God to do this, not just for your own children, but for anyone in this group. To love and guide and care and teach. And the rest of us in this room, as we think about those who have mothered us, and again, not just our, our biological mothers, but those who have done that for us, today, appreciate them as well. Those who have sacrificed of themselves for your benefit. Remember them. Ultimately, God, when he's describing himself, he describes his care for his people. We'll end with Isaiah 66. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her. This is to his people in Israel specifically, but I think applies to us as well. I will extend peace to her like a river. The glory of the nations shall like an, over, uh, like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. This is clearly describing a mother with her child. As one whom his mother comforts, I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and, like, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show indignation against his enemies. That last line there. You know the mother whose children have been threatened. That's how God is. With us, his children. He wants to care and love and nourish and comfort and teach you. And if you're in this room today, you do not, maybe you do not have a mother who is either with you or is estranged or whatever. You can find that here. Ultimately in God, but also in others in this room. If you have never been part of God's family, he invites you to be a part of this family. To join and to have that comfort.